Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Today we're going to be concluding a series that we began back at the beginning of June on Matthew chapter 13. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells a number of stories, they're called parables, where he takes something that we know, like agriculture or, or fish or treasure or pearls, jewelry, those kinds of things, things from our world that we know, and he uses them to teach us about something that we need to know, the kingdom of heaven. And so in that chapter, Jesus walks through these stories, and we've seen that from the parable of the sower and the parable of the wheat and the weeds, the parable of the fisherman and the dragnet over the last three Sundays. And today we're going to wrap up that study by looking at four other parables that Jesus tells that let us know something about what the kingdom of heaven is like. But before we read those parables and talk about their meaning for us today, I want to ask you a question. What are you saving money for right now? What are you saving for right now? And and I'm not just asking this to the grown-ups in the room. Kids, what are you saving money for right now? I'm guessing that somebody in this room is saving money for a Lego set. Anybody saving money for a Lego set? How about this? Anybody saving money for an American Girl doll? You're going to be saving a long time for that one. Um, Anybody here saving money for summer camp? Anybody in this room? Here's one. Anybody in this room maybe saving money for that first car? You're mowing lawns this summer. You're working some odd jobs, saving back some money for that first car. Anybody in this room saving some money for retirement? See, here's the thing. When we think about money that we're saving, uh, we began to save because we became convinced of at least two things. Two things we had to become convinced of before we began to save. The first thing we had to become convinced of is that whatever we were saving for was a real possibility. In other words, we had to think, if I save long enough, this could actually be something that I possess. You know, if I began to save money right now to buy courtside tickets for a Thunder game that would be my first game to ever start as point guard for the Thunder, that would be a fool's errand, okay? Um, it would not be wise for me to save for that endeavor. Why? Because it's never going to happen. I had to come to grips with that reality that I will never start for the thunder. I may need to save for my son's first game, but it's not for mine, right? In order for us to begin to save, we have to have a perspective that says that whatever we're saving for is something that we could really have. But the second thing we had to be Come convinced of and really stay convinced of is that whatever we're saving for is worth it. There are so many different things that are competing for our attention and for our money that if we are not convinced that what we're saving for is worth it, we'll take what we have saved and we will spend it on something else. If we're convinced that what we're saving for is real and it's worth it, we'll stay engaged. Now, here's the thing, friends. I'm not here today to talk about what we're saving for. I'm here today to talk about our salvation. And Jesus tells four parables inside of Matthew 13 to let us know that our salvation is both real and worth it. And we need to be reminded of that. 
Because all too often we can become disillusioned as we live our lives in this present day. We've become disillusioned and wonder if God is real or wonder if our salvation will ever come. It will wonder if our future is really as great as it's promised. Or we'll wonder if it's really worth it. Jesus understands that those are questions that we'll have, and so he tells these stories to remind us of the reality and the worth of our salvation. Today we're going to look at these four parables, a parable of the mustard seed, a parable of the leaven, a parable of a hidden treasure. Who doesn't like a good story of hidden treasure? And parables of a pearl of great price. And in those four stories, we find that our salvation is both real and worth it. The first point is that Jesus is real. Jesus is real. We see this in the first two parables that we're going to look at today, that Jesus is real. Now, that's important for us to remember that Jesus is real, because the Scriptures are clear that Jesus is the most real thing that there is, right? He's the most real person there is. He has existed for all eternity, In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the time that you and I know was the beginning, in that time that was the beginning, Jesus already was. And the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus has always been. He's the most real thing that there is. And, And Jesus, who has always existed, actually was the agency through which God created all things and in which God holds all things together. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, the Apostle Paul writes and says, For by Jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus has always been. He's, he's so real, and he is holding all of this earth together. Everything that we know exists for the purpose of pointing us to him. Because of that, he has the authority to one day set up a kingdom upon this earth that will go from shore to shore. Psalm chapter 72, there's a number of verses in this psalm that talk about the future kingdom reign of the Messiah, of Jesus. It says in verse 8 and following, it says, may he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. May all the nations serve him. See, this is the reality that we need to keep in our minds that Jesus is the King of kings, that he is the Lord of lords, that he is the one who has always been, that he is the one who created all things. And we need to remember that because we live in a world that tempts us to think that that isn't real, that tempts us to think that Jesus isn't really in control. Because at times our world feels out of control, doesn't it? I mean, think about all of the pain that we see on the news, all the pain that we know about on our street and in our family. It it tempts us to wonder, is he he real? We think about all of the the abuse that is happening in homes around our city and in homes that you know and families that you know and things that you've experienced. We, We were tempted to think, is it real? 
Is he really the king of kings? Is he really the Lord of lords? And, and if he is, how come I don't see more of a change in the world in which I live? See, Jesus tells these stories in Matthew chapter 13 to remind us that he's real. It's one of the purposes for it. Because remember, Jesus tells these stories in Matthew 13 to explain what he calls the secrets of the kingdom. In other words, in the Old Testament, it, it talked about a lot of things about the coming of Messiah, but one thing that wasn't clear inside the Old Testament was that there would be this, this era of time of a couple of thousand years and counting between Jesus' first coming and his second. You and I live inside of that time. And as people who live inside that time, we are tempted to think that maybe he isn't the King of Kings. Maybe he isn't the Lord of Lords. Maybe he isn't as real as we thought. Maybe his kingdom isn't really coming. We're tempted to think that way because we live in this era. And so Jesus tells a couple of stories to remind us that he is real, that this is his world, that we are just living in it. Well, what are those stories that he tells? The first of those stories that Jesus tells is the story of the mustard seed. We see this in verses 31 and 32 of Matthew 13. Jesus says here, he says, he, he put another parable before the crowd, saying to them, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, Jesus here is telling a story about a seed. Now, the seed that he is talking about is a mustard seed. And that gigantic hand on the screen there, in the middle of that is this little dot. Do you see that? That little dot is a mustard seed, very small little seed. Now, Jesus wasn't saying that the mustard seed was the smallest seed that exists on the earth because Jesus, with omnipotent knowledge, knew that there were some wildflower seeds that were actually smaller than that. But what Jesus was saying was, hey, he's talking to people who lived in Palestine in the first century. He said, the smallest seed that you would ever plant in your garden is this little mustard seed. It's the smallest seed that you would ever plant there. He says, this seed that begins so small can produce a tree or a bush that is much larger. That little mustard seed could grow 12 to 15 feet tall and was quite the bush, large enough that birds of the air could fly and make nests inside of its branches. And what Jesus was saying as he tells this story is he says, listen, what I am doing right now in the era in which you and I live, I am starting something that will begin small but will grow very large, large enough that people can, can find health and life and help inside of it. See, it was important for Jesus to say that because when he begins to tell this story, uh, he is talking about a movement that is going to begin with like 12 people. By the day of Pentecost, Acts tells us there were maybe 120 that gathered together with them. It, it began very small. The, the church began very small. But Jesus wanted them to know that though it began small, it would grow large. You and I live today in an era where we have seen the church grow from a few people in Palestine with 120 on the day of Pentecost 
to four times that many in this room right now. It's, it's grown, and that doesn't even count what God is doing all over the world and all of the different churches that are there. But here's the thing, friends. What Jesus is doing and growing and building right now, it's still growing. It's not at its full zenith yet. It's, it's still getting there. What he began that was once so small is growing into something so large. He tells that story to remind us to not lose heart when the kingdom isn't as fully realized as we want it to be. He says it will get there. It's beginning small, but it will grow large. Second story Jesus tells is to make that same point about the reality but he does it in a different way. In this story, in verse 33, he tells it about some leaven. He told them this parable. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Now, what is leaven? Something like yeast, right? You introduce it inside of dough, and it spreads throughout that dough, and it makes your bread rise. Just as the people that Jesus told this story to were well aware that the small mustard seed grew into this large bush, in the same way Jesus tells this story to say something that they understood. They made bread that rose. They had wonder and wheat just like us, right? And Jesus says the fact that you are aware that the bread rises and grows, you understand that something that is otherwise invisible to the naked eye can lead to very visible long-term change. And I think the point is rather obvious, isn't it? Jesus said, what I am doing right now is not beginning with thrones and an army. It's beginning with change and revolution, not on the outside, but on the interior of people's lives. There is definite change. There is definite growth. But right now, it's primarily happening in our hearts as our lives are are shaped in following Him. There's a harvest of spiritual fruit and character that is changing and growing. And Jesus is already at work right now in in the invisible that is causing some visible results. Friends, Jesus tells these two stories to remind us that He is real. He is real. And and I want us to do this. Every time we see a seed, I want us to be reminded of the fact that God is growing something from small to large, and we're not there yet. And every time you make a sandwich and you look at that bread that is risen, I want you to remember of the power and the impact of what God is doing in the invisible world. Jesus tells these stories so that we might remember in an ongoing way what he's up to in this age in which we live. Let us not be discouraged thinking that God is not at work. Let's remember that he is real, that he is building his kingdom from small to large and from invisible to visible. But the second thing that we see that Jesus illustrates for us is that he's worth it, that the kingdom he is building is is absolutely worth it worth it. Now, this is something that you and I need to remember as well, because at times we can, we can wonder, is it really worth it to follow Christ? Is it really worth it for me to follow Jesus? Is it really worth it for me to share Jesus with others? I, I've told this story before, but I think about it often when I, when I look at passages like this. 
A number of years ago, I was a part of a team that went over to uh, France, and we were ministering to North Africans there, sharing the gospel with them. And we would give them a New Testament in their language. We would give them uh, a, a copy of the Jesus film in their language, and we would invite them to read the gospel and to watch the film and to consider the claims of Christ. Many of you were either a part of those trips or, or helped support those trips. But, but here's the thing when I think about what was happening there. I remember there was a Frenchman who was working at the port where we were distributing these materials, and he came over to me one day and he said, why are you doing this? Don't you know that you're inviting trouble into that person's life? Just by virtue of having that movie or having that book, they might have problems with their family. They might be arrested. Those things might be confiscated and thrown away. You're making their life worse by sharing this news with them. That was the implication of what the man was saying. And it really kind of shook me for a moment. I, I had to think through, okay, is it really worth it, what we're, we're offering to them? And the answer to that, Jesus says, is absolutely yes. You know, we think of it in our own lives. Is it really worth it for me to follow Christ? I mean, there may be things that, that we think we want more than anything else, and following Jesus might be walking away from something that we think we really want, status or money or whatever. Is it really worth it? Is it really worth it to, to share Christ with somebody that seems to have everything? Is it really worth it to share Christ with somebody that following him might even mean a vocation change, might mean a, a change in some of the fun they look like they're having? Is it really worth it? Well, in light of the cost of eternity, in light of the, the hope of salvation, Jesus says it's absolutely worth it. And he tells two other parables to help drive that point home. The first of those parables that he tells is the parable of the hidden treasure, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Now, what is this story of the hidden treasure all about. Now, I don't know, just out of curiosity, has anybody here ever found buried treasure? Somebody actually came up afterwards and said that, that they were told that in a house that they bought, somebody had buried baseball cards from the 1940s in a tackle box somewhere in the backyard. And, and this, this person was telling me the story. He said, I actually spent the next decade digging for those cards. And he said, I never found them. So I don't know, maybe, maybe you've had that experience. I've never had the experience of finding hidden treasure. But in the first century, it actually was kind of common. There were actually laws written about it that said that if you found a treasure in a field um, and nobody knew about it, it was yours. You could keep it. Now, why was such a law necessary? Well, such a law was necessary because back then, before safety deposit boxes and in a land that was war-torn and there was things that were plundered all the time, people would take valuables and they would bury them in their fields. And if the person that buried it forgot where it was or died, there was some treasure to be found. In, in this story, Jesus talks about somebody who stumbles in a field upon treasure that is buried. And when they find this treasure that was buried in this field, they, they're so overjoyed because it's something of tremendous value. 
so much value that they would reorganize their entire life. They would liquidate their assets in order to buy that field, in order to possess that treasure. Jesus says that following me is like that. It's worth everything. It's worth whatever the cost. That's what Jesus says. Because of the forgiveness that is found in him, because of the hope that is found in him, because of the future that is found in him, it is absolutely worth it. Now, What's interesting to me about this story, though, is that the person that finds the buried treasure, they weren't even looking for it. And I think about that as it connects to our lives. I think that at times we find the blessing of Jesus even in places where we're not looking for it. I had a friend named Tony that was a missionary in Albania. He tells a story about a friend that he met there uh, by the name of Jeannie. And Jeannie, uh, this was a number of years ago, right after Albania had fallen from communism, and, and Tony was one of the very first missionaries to go into that country. He meets Jeannie, and, and at the time, they didn't think there was a single believer in Albania. And when he's talking to Jeannie, Jeannie says, I'm a Christian. He says, that's amazing. You've got to tell me, how is it that you became a Christian? So Jeannie began to tell this story. He said, well, a couple of years ago, you know, again, when there was no Christian testimony in that country, said a couple of years ago, I got a hold of a copy of Scientific American magazine. He said, I was fascinated by science. And so this magazine was a great treasure to me. And so he ripped it open. He began reading and devouring its pages. There was one particular article inside of that Scientific American magazine that was about quasars. Now, I just need to confess to y'all, I have no idea what a quasar is. But science people, it's something, right? It's a real thing. Uh, I think Quasar was the brand of television that we had in my living room growing up. Um, but it's something else. It's, it's something that is very, very large in the universe. And Jeannie told Tony this story. He said, as I read that article, I realized that there are things in the universe that are so large that it makes our galaxy very small. So not only does it make our galaxy very small, but our sun and our solar system are very small compared to our galaxy and not only is, is, our, is our sun, our galaxy very small, but the earth is very small. And not only is the earth very small, but Albania is very small. And not only is Albania very small, but he said, I'm a person who's very insignificant. He said, I'm a speck of sand on a speck of sand on a speck of sand. But he said, as he read that article about the vastness of the universe, he said he felt God reassuring him that he mattered nonetheless. And so he turned to the only God whose name he knew. He turned to Jesus and he began to follow him. He got a New Testament and he began to follow Christ. Friends, Jeannie was like a person who stumbled upon a treasure in a field. He didn't go looking for it, but the Lord delivered it to him anyway. And when he found it, he reorganized, reprioritized his life, gave everything in order to follow him. And it was absolutely worth it. Some of you in this room have found Christ in a similar way. You got involved in your kid's school because you wanted to be involved in their school, but through that connection, you built a friendship that led you to coming to know Christ or beginning to come to know Christ. You didn't go out looking for it, but the Lord just delivered it to you in an accidental way. You, you invited the fourth guy to join your golf foursome because you needed to round out the foursome and yet, through that relationship, God has providentially done something else. You became a part of the middle school cross-country team because you wanted to run, but the Lord wanted to get the message in front of you. Friends, regardless of how we found it, 
It's a treasure that is worth it all for us to follow him. Jesus tells one more story, verses 45 and 46. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding the one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and he bought it. He tells a story about pearls. This is a story that is very similar to the story of the hidden treasure with one exception. You recognize what it is? This guy went looking for it. This echoes many other of our stories, doesn't it? Think about my own life. My sister came and shared the gospel with me, really upset my apple cart, and I went to the church to find answers. Maybe that's the story of what happened in your life. Maybe it's something of what God is doing in your life right now. Regardless of how we became interested, regardless of how we we began to seek out answers about Christ, we find out that following Jesus is absolutely worth it. Not only is he real, but he's absolutely worth it. Now, when we find a treasure that's of great value, that brings surpassing joy, it's not crazy for us to lean in. I mean, think of, think of what people do and what you even reorient in your life in order to save for that American Girl doll or to save for retirement, the sacrifices you make, to save for the down payment on the house, to save for whatever it is that is of value for you, the things that you will move and reorganize in order for that. And that's something that you'll one day give up. It's something that will one day break. But what Jesus tells us is that it's absolutely worth it for us to reorganize our lives, to give up all if need be in order to follow him. Why? Because what he is offering us is something that will be ours forever. American missionary Jim Elliott, who gave his life as a martyr in South America as he took the gospel to the Aka Indian, said this before he died. He says, he is no fool, who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. It's not foolish for us to follow Christ. Why? Because he's real. And what he's offering us is real. And because it is really worth it. Friends, in both of these two stories over here on this side, in both of these two stories, A transaction was necessary. The people in these stories had to actually do something in order to possess the field or to get the pearl. The same way we see in the rest of the New Testament, we we must do something in response to this message. If it's real and it's worth it, what do we do? Jesus lets us know that we find that joy not by performing for him, but by faith receiving the gift that he has offered, regardless of the cost, saying, Jesus, I am going to follow you. And my question for all of us today is, are we? Have we made that call? We made that decision? We said, Jesus, I will follow you no matter what, because you're real and what you're offering is absolutely worth it. It will bring the joy and the satisfaction to my soul that I so desire. Do you trust in Christ today? If not, you can trust him right now as we pray together. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to worship today. Thank you for the, the power of your word.
that reminds us that the kingdom that you promise is real. The salvation that you offer is real. And Father, the blessing and the joy that is promised is totally worth it. Father, I pray for every single one of us in this room, every heart that is here, every ears that hear, Father, that we would be hearts that would be trusting you, that the transaction of, of giving up whatever to follow, that we would have that same heart and it would be expressed not in just new effort, but it would be expressed in new dependence, relying upon you for the forgiveness of our sins and for our hope for all eternity. Father, thank you for these parables that tell us about life today, life in the in-between, life between the first and the second coming of Jesus, the era in which we live. We have the privilege of understanding through the parables that you taught how we are to live now, believing that you're real and worth it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.